2: This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers.
1: I was really happy with how I tracked the puck through traffic. Um, they do obviously they got a lot of pucks through, got a lot of bodies to the net. Thought my rebound control was good too. So yeah, just kind of managing the traffic in the game and uh, all the pucks that were thrown on net. Casey DeSmith, uh, 52 saves, shutout. Jake Gensel, a hat trick. Maybe these penguins aren't so cooked after all. I am Tim Benz. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. BetRivers gives you more reasons to root, root, root for the home team with a Tuesday 20% profit boost on all Major League Baseball games. Log on Tuesday and place your bets on the money line, point spread, or who you think will hit the long ball and you'll... Earn 20% of a profit boost on any baseball game. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Peanuts and hot dogs not included. Log on to BetRivers.com or download the BetRivers app and place your bets. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Baseball Pirates have a 220 start today. I like the under again today. It held yesterday against the Cubs. Smiley and Quintana was the under the first time around. Haven't checked the win today at Wrigley, but that is where I'm leaning. Under 7.5 at minus 103. The Bucks have been a good under team so far this year. They came back from 3 down to win last night. They are plus 155 to win today. Both teams at 6 and 7 so far, but Drew Smiley has been excellent so far this year for Chicago. Just 8 base runners and no earned runs in 9 2 3 innings. So give me the Cubbies at minus 182. I may even go run line at one and a half at plus 114. Penguins this weekend, minus 305 to win against Detroit tomorrow. I bet you're on the same number against the Flyers too on Sunday, maybe even bigger. My hunch is to go over tomorrow to take the Pens to win straight up as well. Mix them in on a parlay if you like because the wings stink and the Pens put 11 on the board against them last time. Tonight, the game to watch from a Penguins standpoint is Washington at minus 400 at Arizona. The Pens with a two-point lead on the Caps for third place in the Eastern Conference. Minus 138 on the over-under, which is at six and a half. I like that. Give me that. Alexander Ovechkin, so hot right now, he's minus 152 to score. Wow, just got his 50th goal. Ninth season, ninth time he's done that. So it'll be goal 51 for him tonight. Maybe a little rich for my blood, but hey, it is Arizona, right? Phil Kessel, plus 440 to score. He hasn't had one since March 20th. He's got 7 and 41 assists on the season. He's turning to Adam Oates. Give me a Caps Wild parlay tonight. Caps against the Yotes. Kraken against the Wild. Wild at home. Caps on the road. It pays out at minus 143. Mix in the over on Avs and Oilers at minus 129. For six and a half, and he get paid out at plus 203. Pens win and keep the under last night thanks to Casey DeSmith. Four to nothing, final score on the 52 saves. Jake Gensel tried to get to the over all by himself with a hat trick. What a goal scorer he has turned into. Another 40 goal season. He's not all that big. He's not all that strong. He's not all that fast, and he doesn't have that great of a shot, but he's a little bit of everything. And he's certainly smart enough. He gets to the right spot. He's got a fantastic release. He's got good placement on his shot. And Jake Gensel is scalding at this point for the Penguins. They've got to get themselves, I think, three wins in their last four. Uh, If they can avoid the Panthers, that would be great. Panthers locked up the East, locked up the Atlantic with a win yesterday. My gosh, how about Tampa putting the hurt down on the Toronto Maple Leafs? An 8-1 final there. But the Atlantic now is sewn up in favor of the Florida Panthers. Seth Rorba joining me for our weekly chat about the Pens right now here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. As we break down the victory against the Bruins last night, look at the East. And we also talk about the latest unfortunate news in the National Hockey League, the passing of Guy LaFleur. Boy, Mike Bossy last week, Clark Gillies earlier. It just doesn't stop, does it, for the NHL. It's been an unfortunate run with the game losing some of its all-time greats, uh, Seth has some great recollections of Guy LaFleur in our conversation, too. And we also look ahead to the games this weekend against the Flyers and the Red Wings here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Tristan Jari out for the time being, week to week, with what is believed to be a lower leg injury of some sort. And was even seen getting pushed around the ice for the team photo in a walking boot. But hey, Seth, if Casey DeSmith is making 52 saves every night, I guess everything's going to be okay, right?
0: Uh, especially if you're his agent I mean, he's a pending unrestricted free agent for the <laughs> season. So, uh, you know, maybe the, the timing's a uh, serendipitous here for him. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was a, a really special effort. I think you could say, I mean, it was a franchise record for shutouts in a, or saves in a shutout for, for the Penguins. Um, generally speaking, you, you don't get a shutout when you give up 50 some shots, but, um, Casey Smith was really tuned into that game. And, and to be certain, I mean, um, I, I'm not quite sure how many of the shots you would label as high quality. I mean, not, not a ton of them were from below the hash marks and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of them were from the perimeter and point. But uh, so the Penguins played good defense in that sense. But um, you know, 52 saves is 52 saves. Uh, it, it was an impressive effort on Thursday, and um, I think it maybe for the time being quelled a lot of maybe uh, questions or curiosities about Casey Smith kind of taking on this challenge with. Uh, Tristan Jari sideline and I, I think it's fair to say it's it's a right foot injury I think we can say that safely now at this point but um, no I think Casey Smith answered the bell in a very major way on Thursday night
1: you know there seems to be a verbal commitment of faith from the players um, you know Mike Sullivan seems to be doing the Mike Tomlin thing of we'll leave the light on for Tristan but you tell me, Seth, internally, how much faith is there that they can advance out of the first round with the Smith playing goal, especially if they have to play the Rangers with Shesterkin in the other goal or they have to face a, a real, sizable, offensive talent in the Florida Panthers. I, I don't know, maybe maybe the easiest m- matchup at this point might be the Hurricanes. What do you think? <sighs> Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm honestly thinking it's either Carolina or even Florida, which sounds you know absurd to say, but um, just based on the history that the Penguins have against Sergei Bobrovsky and you know, his own history overall as a playoff goaltender, which is not outstanding by any stretch of the imagination. And also on top of that, too, Florida's still even with all their successes of late. I mean, they're they're doing a lot of this without Aaron Eckblad. They're all everything number one defenseman, who's basically you know their version of Chris Tang So um it, just based on the history they have with the New York Rangers this season, I, I think it would be ideal for them to maybe avoid the Rangers. Um, I, I don't even know if necessarily the Rangers are even, you know, the best team in the division or conference, but they just are a terrible matchup for the Penguins, as we've seen uh, repeatedly here. But um, to your greater point there with Casey to Smith, uh, I mean, they're saying all the right things and they seem to, you know, the body language and everything like that seems to suggest that they have full faith in him, uh, even if externally, you know, whether it's media or fans don't necessarily have the same type of faith. But um, I mean, this is a guy who's, I looked this up. His last playoff game of any type came with Wilkes versus Granton in, in 2017. Uh, he lost a first round playoff series uh, against the Providence Bruins. Um, so it's, it, the history there is basically negligible as far as being a playoff goaltender in the NHL, his, in the NHL for Casey Smith. Um, it's a big unknown. Uh, I mean, I, you know, like, like, you're, like I was saying with Sergey Bobrovsky, I mean, we know his playoff history is terrible. Um, we don't even know that about Casey Smith here. So, um, it's a huge question mark just, you know, when you look at it from the outside ex- or externally objectively, because, um, He's I, I, I mean, aside from even I don't even know how many back uh, games he stresses the backup in the playoffs, let alone, you know, uh, he certainly hasn't played any. Uh, and, you know, like you said the, the history for him just, you know, going back to 2017 at any level, it just isn't there. So, um, I just, again, I think it's still a big, fair, big um, question mark for him. And I think it's a more than a fair uh, question, uh, question mark.
1: Regarding the pens and their power play, uh, Mike Sullivan seemed to be very happy with the power play and the way it performed, even though it didn't get a goal against the Bruins. They relied on that a lot during their recent hot stretch. It has faded a bit and coincided with them struggling more often. Where do you see the power play right now, Seth, heading into the postseason?
0: Well, I think it will get a boost here with Evgeny Malkin having served his, uh, final game of his suspension here. Um, yeah, you know, for all his malfunctions uh, since coming back to the lineup, I mean, the power play hasn't been one of them. He's he's collecting almost you know most of his offense on the power play, and um, we obviously know what he can do there, particularly with that hammer of a one timer that he usually offers from a right circle there. So. Um, and, and to be clear, I mean, the power play has been struggling before he, he was suspended. So it's, it's not like it was exclusive to his absence, but, um, something tells me, you know, when you add a player like that, that, that solves a lot of problems for you. So, uh, but at least, you know, with the Boston game on Thursday, I mean, they, um, they moved the puck around pretty well. They got, they, they gained the zone fairly well. And you know, as Mike Sullivan suggested, he thought maybe they had six quality scoring chances in that two minute span there. So, um, there would seem to be some signs of progress there, some signs of optimism there. But, uh, for me, I, I think the biggest variable is just going to be of getting Malton coming back in the lineup. And, and again, like I said, I mean, five on five plays, maybe not been there for him, but the, the power play, uh, certainly been there for him. That's where he's collecting a lot of points, uh, since he's uh, come back from his injury back in January.
1: What do you think they'll do with him at even strength as far as his wingers go?
0: Well, I, I think a big question marks, Jeff Carter in that, um, Jeff Carter, as we saw, you know, left the game on Thursday late uh, with um, well, an undisclosed injury. Uh, so we'll see what his status is moving forward. But I think that maybe will kind of play into you know, who they use in the wings there. Um, you know, everything would lead me to believe that they'll probably go with uh, 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 Jason Zucker and Brian Rust. In that scenario, um, we've seen Ricard Raquel being used uh, on the top line there with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. I think Mike Sullivan wants to kind of, you know, maintain that and see where that goes for the time being. Um, and I think we've seen, you know, some signs of life there with Brian Rust and uh, Evgeny Malkin. I mean, maybe going back a month in terms of, you know, Rust skating on that line and, you know, sparking some things for Evgeny Malkin there. So and Jason Zucker, I mean. I am not quite sure the results have ever been there consistently, but I mean there have been some results here and there. So, um, in terms of playing with Evgeny Malkin, so um, you know, again we'll see how things maybe shake out here with uh, Jeff Carter and whoever he's dealing with. But uh, uh, to me, the leading candidates would certainly be uh, Jason Zucker and Brian Rust as far as playing with Evgeny Malkin.
1: I really liked what they did along the wall yesterday against the Bruins. I thought they were excellent there, and as Mike Sullivan pointed out too. In front of the net, which always hasn't been their strong point this season.
0: Yeah, you uh, you were pretty uh, deft in pointing out the wall play to me uh, during that game, as it pointed out, as it happened there. Uh, I, you know, Mike Matheson made a really nice play there um, when the Bruins tried to make a line change. They made a pretty poor you know dump uh, out there, and you know, Matheson corralled and you know some of the bad ice there and uh, took advantage of the Bruins kind of getting in and off the bench there and uh, you know fed the puck up to uh, Ricard Raquel, who then. Fed Sidney Crosby, then fed it the to Jake Gensel, who did the rest there. And um, I, I joked that I thought Mike Matheson probably should have deserved the fourth assist there, two of them, right. uh, <laughs> for his for his play there. Then on the Jason Zucker goal, Jason Zucker did some nice work there. I think it was on Charlie Coyle uh, near his own blue line. You know, Gave it to, to Marcus Patterson, who then gave it to John Marino, the, who then fed it up to Carter, who made a just amazing uh, kind of tip play on a pass that sprung Jason uh, – you know, Jason Zucker on the breakaway there. So, um, you know, the, when Mike Sullivan talks about details, I mean, that sounds like a you know a, a very tired cliche. And trust me, I'm I'm sick of transcribing the word details. Uh, in a lot of times, but um, that's what that is. I mean, you know, when you when you win a little puck battle on the wall there, um, that. You know, gains you possession, and possession is the name of the game. So um that was something that uh, they focused on a lot, and I, I would assume every other team in the NHL does a lot as well. But um, that was a perfect illustration of that type of detail of the game. And, and as far as their net front play, I mean, uh, that maybe kind of goes back to my earlier point in terms of yeah, the Bruins have 52 shots, so many of them were from the perimeter, and um, I, I like to call those junk shots. Yeah, they go on the scoreboard as a shot, but the goaltender is mostly going to stop that and, um part of that also is to you know making sure he can see it making sure the shooting lanes are clear for him making sure there's no uh, bodies in front you know screening and things like that so uh the penguins were fairly effective in that in that sense uh, against a team that likes to do that I mean, the bruins create a lot of uh, shots from the perimeter with and try to you know cloud the goalie's uh, vision with you know bodies to the net and stuff like that And the penguins for the most part were pretty effective and Um, eliminating how effective uh, the Bruins could use that tactic. So, uh, again, another detail that the Penguins uh, were pretty sharp in on Thursday night.
1: Why do you think Gensel is as adept at finishing as he is?
0: Um, He's just really intelligent about the game. Uh, And I've asked Mike Sullivan about this a couple of times. Um, When you watch Jake Gensel, it's not like he has some, like, huge one-timer or just, like, a really lethal backhander the way – you know, like Sidney Crosby does. And, um, he's not, you know, physically imposing. He doesn't just bull his way around the net, like a big power forward. And, um, he, he doesn't have particularly fast, you know, skating. I mean, if you, if you lined up the Penguins forwards in a skating contest, I would venture to guess he might finish in the bottom, uh, yeah. bottom six. Um, but he just knows where the puck is. He just knows where to be, uh, where to get goals. And, um just finds ways to collect them and uh and there's that tired cliche of oh he's a coach's son but you know what i I think it pays off here in this in in how he plays um you know without having any kind of dominant physical attribute he just finds ways to collect goals hey you know he plays with Sidney crosby on that line he plays on the top power play that always helps but you don't get that assignment just you know by accident i mean he just knows how to play the game um and you know despite maybe having some you know fairly average physical qualities he just you know, finds ways to collect goals. And um, that's why he's now a two-time 40-goal scorer.
1: Alexander Ovechkin, a nine-time 50-goal scorer. Can you believe he's at 50 this year?
0: Um, yes and no. Uh, I mean, just when you look at the age, what, he's like uh, 37 now, I think. Um, I mean, 37-year-olds aren't supposed to do that. And they're not supposed to be just still just dynamic, strong, uh, bull in a china shop you know, uh, power forwards. But yet he's he's still doing it at that age. Um, even if his hair's, you know, you know, grayer than a newspaper now, I guess. But um uh I mean he still has that release, he still has that speed, he still just has that power uh, that that makes you as a defenseman maybe think twice about going back for a puck. Um all the physical attributes are still there and that's why he's still such a special player. Um, I think he's maybe like 120 or so behind Wayne Gretzky for the all time lead. And, um, there's little to suggest that he's going to be slowing down anytime soon. Um, again, who knows, you know, maybe we'll get another pandemic, God forbid, or something like that. But, um, again, there's just little to suggest that he's going to be slowing down anytime soon. And, um, full credit for him for finding a way somehow to still maintain his physical qualities, uh, even at an age when a lot of players clearly, uh, you'll lose those qualities, but, um, no, I mean, he's, um, he's one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. And who knows, maybe before it's all said and done, he will absolutely be the greatest goal scorer of all time.
1: Brought up the Panthers before they clinch the division, they clinch home ice in the East, but does that matter in your eyes? Is the issue right now with them? Just can Bobrovsky get them through?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit. I mean, that's always going to be the big question mark on him until he actually does it. Um, he just has a rotten playoff history, and he's one of the highest-paid goaltenders. So he might be one of the highest-paid players, period. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, he's always going to be facing scrutiny in that sense. And you know, that scrutiny gets pretty, uh, has gotten even more intense over the years, given his, some of his failures, whether it was with Philadelphia or Columbus. So um, they paid him a lot of money to be their franchise goalie, to be their Patrick Waugh, if you will. And to this point, he hasn't lived up to it. And, yeah, they have a nice alternative there. And Spencer Knight is a, you know, pretty high end goaltender there, too. So, um, I, I would assume that maybe creates some pressure in case, you know, he has, a, you know, a faulty game here or two that they can go to Spencer Knight there. But, um, the scrutiny is on Sergey Bobrovsky to lead that franchise to, to where it wants to go. And they've loaded up. And, that's i don't know that you could ever have said that about the florida panthers until now where they've loaded up adding you know major players like you know Claude Giroud. um i want to say ben is a major player but he was one of the more coveted players on the free on the trade market here when they added him from montreal so um this is a team that's loaded up for the first time uh, it, this is the first time you can ever say really the florida panthers are a true Stanley Cup contender even going back to the uh the rat trap team from 1996 i mean that, that was a team that was kind of happened by accident but um, this is really the first time the Florida Panthers have loaded up to be a legit, legitimate Stanley Cup contender. and um, A lot of that weight, of that burden, uh, falls on Sergey Bobrovsky's shoulders, and justly so.
1: Who wins the Metro, Seth? It looks like the Rangers are playing better hockey right now, but as opposed to the Panthers, they're the ones with the more difficult schedule. They play each other once, and then three of four games for New York against playoff teams, the Hurricanes get the Devils twice and the Islanders, aside from their game, against the Rangers.
0: I guess I'd go with the Rangers just based on the fact that they're healthier. Um, uh, Frederick Anderson for Carolina, the goaltender there. I mean, he's dinged up after suffering uh, an undisclosed injury. So. And Jordan Stahl's actually a little dinged up, too. And we yeah. all know what he can offer a team. So He was so hot um, when he
1: went down, too.
0: Yeah, so just not ideal timing for Carolina at all. I um, mean, they certainly have capable replacements, particularly with Antti Ranta, the backup goaltender there, who's really more of a one A 1A goaltender. But um, again, I just think you know the the, the injuries or the the health uh, will probably dictate you know the success for them there more than anything. And the Rangers are kind of on a bit of a heater right now, and relatively healthy, so. Um, even with maybe more of a competitive schedule down the stretch here, I I just would defer to the Rangers just based on their health and just the momentum they're carrying right now. Um, And, uh, you know, Carolina, again, you know, not ideal timing, but uh, again, I'm not quite sure they're going to collapse by any means, but uh, uh, that's certainly a a considerable obstacle to be playing without uh, your starting goaltender as well as your captain.
1: Finally, Seth, uh, Guy LaFleur passed away, uh, we found out this morning, and this is right on the heels of Mike, bossy dying last week um rough year for hockey in that regard clark Gillies passed away too but i mean lafleur and bossy these are two icons it's not a stretch to say that within the past couple of days hockey has lost two of its what would you say 10 to 15 best players ever
0: yeah i mean Guy Lafleur. when you when you talk about the montreal canadians you, you think of the names and Um, they're some of the biggest names, biggest icons, biggest stars in the history of the sport for over 100 years. And um, Guy Lafour is right up there. And when you're talking about guys like Maurice Richard or Jean Beliveau, if you want to go back to the early part of the 20th century with guys like Howie Morens or or George George Vezina, um, Guy Lafour is right there. I mean, he was – um he might not have been the greatest player in the 70s but he certainly was maybe the most electrifying or most famous or just um most enthralling uh he was um he, he was what like almost what like Alex ovechkin is maybe for kids today um that's what he was for for a lot of people in the 70s particularly you know fans in quebec and if you recall mary lemieux that was his favorite player as a kid growing up in the 1970s and there's that famous photo of uh I think when Guy LaFleur like recorded his one thousandth point at the Montreal Forum, um, just by happenstance, Mary Lemieux happened to be found get seats to the first row behind the bench. And um GuilaFleur's, you know, getting recognized during the game, doing standing ovation, and Mary Lemieux, a fifteen year old kid, is standing right behind him, clapping, just looking every bit of fan as, you know, just about any any one of us would if we were, you know, right there with our our favorite player as a kid. So Um, that's what Gila Lafleur meant for a lot of fans in Quebec in that area. Um, that's what he meant for just hockey in general, regardless of geography or, or heritage or anything like that. And, um, as far as a player, I mean, just, you know, few players had that type of speed. Few players had that type of, uh, Um, scoring ability Um, and you know the 1970s you know far more renowned for an era as far as you know violence and things like that with say the Philadelphia Flyers and things like that but um, that was also an era where there was so much expansion that the league grew up a lot and um, that spread out the talent but the Montreal Canadiens still kind of found a way to um, really kind of harbor a lot of the talent particularly you know kids from the Quebec area and Four was one of them Um, he was a major part of the Canadian success in the 1970s you look at those uh, four Stanley Cup titles they won in the the latter half of the 70s uh, going into 1980 um, that dynasty of the Montreal Canadiens is often you know cited as one of the greatest if not greatest team in NHL history uh, just because of the collection of talent and um, Guy LaFleur was at the center point of that so um, yeah just a a giant of the, of, the, of the sport, a titan of the sport, um, and someone who meant so much uh, to kids growing up in the 1970s, particularly those from Quebec, including you know one person who happens to be a partial owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins.
1: Seth, appreciate it. Thanks for the perspective on that and all things surrounded The Pens, by the way, uh, games coming up on the road this weekend against the Red Wings on Saturday, the Flyers on Sunday they got to get four out of that don't they I mean my gosh not only are these bad teams but they're bad teams who aren't playing great I mean the Flyers have lost seven to ten Red Wings have lost six or seven of their last ten as well um, get the four points here right before you sit, you face Edmonton next week
0: yeah it's nothing else you have to average a touchdown against Detroit to keep your scoring average on them <laughs> up uh, given that 11-3 uh, route from you know a few weeks ago right. but uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, that's those have to be automatic two points, clean two points, no overtime, no shootout. And, you know, ideally, hopefully, you avoid further injury or anything like that. But, um, you know, that should, be, that should be an automatic four points, just given the disparity of where um, all three squads are, I would say. All
1: right, so my thanks to Seth Rorbo. When we come back, we will be joined by Matt Williamson. He is going to have his first in a series of draft breakdowns for the Steelers as we get set for the NFL draft next weekend. And we'll look at it through the eyes of some of the quarterback odds. That's coming up with Matt next in 30 seconds here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. BetRivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, BetRivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back in the Pittsburgh CityCast, pleased to be joined right now by Matt Williamson. You've heard Matt weekly here on the CityCast, breaking down Steelers' films, Steelers' games. He's fantastic at it, our resident scout. You can hear him on the Peacock and Williamson podcast. You can read him at Trib Live once a week as well and listen to him on S&R. We're going to talk about the quarterbacks first today. Uh, we'll have the pass catchers and running backs coming up next week. Then we'll go in the trenches, offensive line and defensive line. Plus, we will also take an extended look at linebackers and secondary since the Steelers might go in that direction if they go defense in the first round. But let's talk about the quarterbacks right now since that has everybody buzzing. And I know depending on where you're listening to this podcast right now, you might not be able to play the odds when it comes to betting on the NFL draft. Sadly, you can't do that here in Pennsylvania, but if you know of ways to make bets elsewhere, you want somebody to get a bet in for you, you're heading out to Vegas for the draft, like I know our colleague Mike Pursuta is. A little background on where the numbers are sitting right now to bet on the draft as it relates to the quarterbacks. Matt and I analyzed that, and we look at potential fits here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. The Steelers drafting 20 And Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett seem to be the hottest names. Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Matt Corral, Carson Strong. We're all familiar with the names, Matt. I'm going to frame this to start actually kind of through the lens of the gambling odds and maybe go big picture with how the league is looking at these QBs and then dial it down to specifically how the Steelers are looking at them. For instance, Kenny Pickett, odds that he's drafted in the top 10, Minus 167. So in other words, they're saying it's pretty good odds that Kenny Pickett's going to be a top 10 guy. They've also got Malik Willis at minus 190 to be the first quarterback taken. Okay, so they're telling us- Figure that out, yeah, right. The gambling odds that that means that by extension, there'll be two guys that are quarterbacks that are taken in the top 10 then. And then you look and you see total QBs drafted in the first round over under two and a half. Now, most of the money and and the line seems to be shifting towards the over. So they're suggesting at least three in all likelihood based on those lines. Is that where you would go as well? I think that we'll see Willis and Pickett go in the first round. I also would go over on this that at least three quarterbacks go in the first round because teams get hungry and desperate and do silly things sometimes for quarterbacks, even if they don't look like actual first round prospects. They might be taken there. How about you? Do you see it just as Willis and Pickett going in the first, or is there a third guy that goes
2: of all those lines? The one I like best is over two and a half quarterbacks in the first round. Now, I think you asked me the toughest question. You can ask me to start the podcast though. I mean, of all the things we talk about, I bet I'll be more sure of my answers than this one. And to be very honest, I don't have a good feel for what the league thinks of these quarterback, this quarterback class. And more specifically, I don't know what the Steelers think of them. I, (laughs) I have mixed feelings, but. You know, you mentioned the Peacock and Williamson show, you know, we did a thing today ranking them against last year's quarterbacks. And I would take four quarterbacks from last year's class over any of these guys. And then I'd take Mac. Then I'd take Willis. Then I'd take Mac Jones then I'd take the next four from this class. So I'm not saying it's a good quarterback class. I think it's gotten too much criticism than it deserves, though. I think they're starting quarterbacks in this group. I just don't know. And, and the other thing, Tim, is, and of course, this will reflect for the rest of the podcast, The the, the this draft is so weak at the top that might not take a shot on a quarterback. You know, I mean, a franchise quarterback economically just makes so much sense. Like, here's a tangent that I'm going to go off on for you. Like, look at Tennessee. Tennessee has Ryan Tannehill, who's 34 years old, and he makes about $35 a year. If they draft one of these guys with a late first-round pick, Tannehill starts this year, and then they hand it over to, say, Desmond Ritter. Mm -hmm. And they get 12 years younger at quarterback and $30 million cheaper at quarterback and maybe get about the same level play. You know, like there's a lot of economics at stake here that make me think the teams might as well draft a quarterback because it just saves you so much money if they can even be an average starter.
1: That's a good principle. That's a good philosophy. It sounds to me that you think that Willis is the guy, though, for not only the Steelers, but for the rest of the league. And I've seen him on many mock drafts staying until the Steelers pick at 20. I've also seen him go as high as two to the lions. How high does he go? Do you think?
2: I don't think he gets past the Steelers. I mean, let's just cut to that right now. I mean, I think if he's there at 20, they absolutely take him. Um, I think they could, I, I don't think they're going to trade up period, but if he, if they go from 20 to 17 or something like that, I think that's a possibility as well. I don't know that I can buy two. I, I used to think that was a strong possibility, but I think the lions are more likely to take one of the top two pass rushers, whoever falls to them, Walker or Hutchinson, and then maybe take Ritter or Corral or somebody like that at 32, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm not saying the lions won't get their quarterback, but I think you're going to get them late rather than early, which also makes me think that, you know, Over two and a half quarterbacks factor in because it might be that 32nd pick that you're keeping your fingers crossed to until the third one falls. But Carolina is the one that stands out because if I were the Panthers, I would draft a tackle and I would sign Baker Mayfield or trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and win seven or eight games and worry about quarterback later. I don't think that's what they're going to do, though. I mean, I I don't know how familiar you and your listeners are with David Tepper, their owner, but he's a pit guy, a Carnegie Mellon guy, came from the Steelers organization. And my dad is very into finances. I was talking to him the other night, and he's like, the Panthers are like play money for him, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, considering where his income comes, and they're the most reactionary. Team, I think in the entire league, like they see a shiny thing and they want it, you know, like give me that. Oh, I want that. I think they're going to draft a quarterback at six and they have immense picket ties. But I mentioned the shiny thing Willis is shinier, so I think one goes at six and maybe they trade from six to nine and then take one. But to me, that's the earliest and probably the only top 10 landing spot. I don't think Seattle or Atlanta does a quarterback in the top 10 because their rosters are horrendous especially atlanta atlanta might get the first pick overall next year and that's the route to go if i'm that
1: what about the saints
2: see the saints are really interesting because i'm in a minority here that when they made that trade everyone in the world said that's for a quarterback because 99% of the time, if you make a trade like that, but before the, well, before the draft even takes place, it's to position yourself to get a quarterback history shows us that. However, they signed two free agent quarterbacks, Dalton and Winston. And I think we've talked about this. I'm still a Winston believer and I really liked them for the Steelers. If it wasn't Trubisky, um, but the saints don't operate like everybody else. I mean, it's, is what I've been saying about this trade. It's always Mardi Gras in new Orleans. They don't care about the hangover. They want to win now. They have two distinct needs. It's offensive tackle because Armstead went to Miami and a wide receiver opposite Michael Thomas sitting at 16 and 19. They have a very good percent chance to get one of each of those things. And I bet they look around the NFC and say, we're a playoff team with this defense and Jameis and uh, those two positions filled. Let's make another run, have another shot, have another hurricane.
1: So Willis is your guy as far as quarterbacks go for the Steelers or anybody else, right?
2: Yes, but if he goes to Carolina and is asked to play soon, I am selling every stock I own because, boy, does he need time.
1: If the Steelers are at 20 and either Willis or Pickett or both are somehow there, Would you take Willis or Pickett before any other name that's a prospect that's kind of been thrown around the Steelers draft universe this offseason?
2: Willis, yes. Pickett, no. And you mentioned the drive that Dale and I do every day or right now three days a week. One of the exercises we did was make your top 20 as if you were Kevin Colbert in the Steeler organization. And I thought there were 10 names, you know, Thibodeau and hutchinson and sauce and those guys that aren't going to be there i'm not going to bother ranking them so i took the next 10 and pickett didn't make my next 10 you know so uh, willis absolutely did you know there's a couple guys on there i might take ahead of him you know, jameson williams from alabama is, is one of them but i think if 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 i could trade the 20th pick for willis right now i know that's not how the world works i would do it i think they would do it i wouldn't do it for any other quarterback
1: would you do it because they're set up to do it in so far as they already have Rudolph and Trubisky in place to be the guide this year and they can groom Willis. Are they more yes. set up to do that than the Panthers or the lions or somebody else that we've already talked about?
2: Uh, the lions wouldn't be bad because they if have they an offensive golf. line and they have golf. You know, if you throw them into the fire, it's going to go bad. But I think the Steelers Everyone says they're not going to play their first round quarterback. Like I always use the Blake Bortles example. They, they, they go to the podium. Blake Blake's not going to play a snap this year. By week four, they're 0-4, and, and he's in there getting killed. You know, so everyone says it. I think the Steelers would actually do it. You know, they're a little more conviction than some teams out there, a little more patient, a little more stable. And everyone wants to compare Willis to Lamar. And I get that. And I think that using Willis in a Lamar rookie year fashion with a package here and there, get him on the field, understand the speed of the game, take some hits, you know, make some plays with your legs, makes a ton of sense. But Lamar's passing game at Louisville was way more pro style than what they're running at Liberty. I mean, like Liberty, it's a one read and then Malik, just be the best athlete on the field and make a play for us.
1: So it sounds to me like, in your eyes, Pickett's the antithesis of that, which is he right. might be best suited for Carolina or a team that is ready to play him now. But for Agreed. a team that's in the back half, like the Steelers, who's still looking for the future at quarterback, maybe not as worth it because the ceiling isn't so high, even though the floor is. Right. And. My analysis of
2: quarterbacks has changed over the last five years than it did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I just want home runs, you know, like, frankly, if the Steelers draft Willis at 20 and he's God awful, it doesn't hurt you that bad. You know, you could go try get back in the well a year or two from now or get the next Trubisky or play Trubisky or play Rudolph. But if he hits, wow. You know, like, I don't want to be in Kirk Cousins' land, and I mm-hmm. think Pickett is Kirk Cousins' land. And again, goes back to that Tannehill example. Tannehill, Cousins, they're, they're really good players. I mean, they're the 12th, the 15th best quarterback on the planet. They're worthy of 30 or $35 million, and you'll win games with them. But economically, you'd rather have the rookie Pickett than the 35-year-old Tannehill. You know what I mean? Like, give me a left tackle and a number one receiver with that extra money.
1: Last thing, Matt, on the quarterbacks, then we'll switch up and go elsewhere. But last point I want to raise on the quarterbacks is this then. If Pickett and Willis are both gone and the Steelers go a different direction, doesn't matter what, defensive tackle, linebacker, receiver, Mm -hmm. whatever, would you consider or would you deem it wise for the Steelers to take a Ritter, a Corral, a Howell in the second round? Or is that not probably,
2: even Probably, but I, I don't know how much time you're spending on quarterbacks. So I probably should have got this out of the way first. I like Ritter more than I like Pickett. Ooh, so all right. if let's say neither one made my top 20, but let's say you go from 20 to 25 and you pick up an extra third round pick. And both are staring you in the face, and all of a sudden, you can address your other needs because you have more picks now. I would grab Ritter. So if I could get Ritter at 52, I'm doing that in a heartbeat. And frankly, I might even trade up to, you know, 38 to do it or whatever. I like Ritter. Um, it's not that I hate Pickett, but he's not going to get to the second round anyway. Mm-hmm. Corral and how I suppose, again, because taking a bite from the quarterback Apple, is just very economically sound in today's NFL. I mean, if you can get a Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson on a rookie contract, I mean, that's the cheat code in the NFL. All
1: right, so again, my thanks to Matt. Like I said, we'll hear more from Matt next week. We'll also hear from Brian Metzer, Mike Pursuta at the draft, too. Can't wait to talk to you more about it. Good luck this weekend. We'll talk again next week here in the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.